Okay, let's just start. Do you have any, like, jokes to open up with about the pandemic? Honestly, I I don't think I have ever come up with a single joke about the pandemic. That shit was not funny. <laughs> we definitely can't start like that. Like, we have to build kind of to that. We have to warm up the audience a little bit. They'll laugh in a couple minutes. What about warming me up? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You want some <laughs> foreplay? Okay, okay, fine. Since, like, prima donna over here doesn't feel like giving me a zinger about the event that killed millions of people, I guess that we just have to get into it. Um, I'm Evangelia. And I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Gonna Happen. I don't want to do this episode so bad. That's why we have to. It's just so like cringe to talk about COVID. And I bet everyone listening feels the same way, but please don't click off. Give us a chance. I'm about to click off. (laughs) I just feel like we're in such a weird period with it because it kind of ended kind of. So like no one really wants to think about it anymore. And it hasn't really been long enough to reminisce on it openly without being like a Stockholm syndrome freak. I have seen people say they miss quarantine sometimes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I could go for, like, round two. I could see that. But, yeah, definitely hasn't been long or short enough to talk about it openly, like, with friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't say I see into every, like, friend group's conversations, but there's definitely not a... Okay, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, your omnipotence. I always forget about that. Yeah, like, I feel like I just don't see it on the internet. Like, I honestly don't. Like, it never comes up when I meet new groups of people. Like, nobody ever wants to talk about that shit. Like, even hearing the word COVID, I feel like in any kind of media elicits this weird combination of, like, resentment and irony. Like, it almost feels like you're hearing the name of an ex that, like, it's funny you even dated them, but it was actually super real for you. <laughs> like, all your no, friends like, make fun of them and are like, ha, remember you dated that person? And you're like, ha, yeah, like, that was so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is so true. But it's even worse because it's like we all have the same ex and she fucked us all over in different, unique, but equally horrible ways. Right, and, like, we can't even talk about her because everyone's already have enough of her shit to even, like, mention her. But in reality, we're all traumatized and, like, probably should be in a support group. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I can't help feeling averse classic mixture of cringe and dread classic classic one of my main emotions (laughs) yeah dread dread is definitely a good word to describe it the whole reason we react the way that we do when we think about covid is because above all literally everyone has like pretty much experienced a major disorientation because either we're all already exhausted by discussing politics with our loved ones or like just are confused about changing the way that we navigate the world in general and like the supply chain and the economy fell apart and like just all the socio-political repercussions it's just like like what do you even do with that like where do you even start with that you learn how to use slack you and you move you, on dude. through life <laughs> <laughs> you, it is dreadful it's dreadful to unpack the buildup that that event created so all you can do is kind of like roll your eyes you know who's gonna say anything that a think piece hasn't already said should yeah. we just like complain like our annoying relatives should we come up with like revolutionary solutions and put all of our time into picking up pieces like who has the time for that what do we do when repression is coded into the way this country functions yeah this country is as Pack it up, get to work, everybody, as you can get. Yeah, we fall into like a compliance with the system because we become, you know, we, we 
embodied the sociopathy that capitalism praises. There's no ethical way to hoard wealth and hoarding wealth is how you win capitalism. So like the ultimate goal of capitalism is unethical. It's just it's just sad that the people who don't reap the benefits of being a billionaire still have to deal with the cultural curse of believing efficiency is the human priority. Yeah, and American culture is so individualistic and that is precisely why we were so much worse at unifying against COVID as a nation in the way that many other countries were able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got we all got like so caught up in protecting ourselves as individuals that we kind of like lost that greater cultural narrative. The fucking Protestant work ethic and its consequences have been a disaster for Western society. Can the, you like go into that? Like, what is that? Like, okay, like Protestantism is extremely individualistic. Like, the whole idea is like Catholics followed the church. They followed this organized structure. It's all like community based. Whereas Protestants are like, no, like you have your own relationship with God. You go on your own spiritual journey. It's about the individual's relationship with God rather than a person belonging to a church that has a relationship with God. So it creates this much more individualistic mindset and it also, um, their concept of like what is valuable is tied to hard work. Like one of the mm. ways in which you can do good in this life is by working hard. You work hard, you have your own relationship with God. Right, but it's like, what are you working hard towards? Like that's like, well, it's I just agree that with the Working sentiment. hard in general right, is objectively is a, virtue. a virtue. It's like just the, the best thing that somebody can do is like right. work really hard. Yeah, are you working hard towards being the best kind of person you can be? Are you working hard? Yeah, no, toward- they were talking about like toiling the fields, like being right. the best like garment worker that you could possibly fucking be. Like that that was the idea. <laughs> I respect that idea of like hard hard work being a value to have, but yeah, it's about like where you prioritize it. I'm way more of like a kumbaya. There are spirits in the trees. Like nature is always in communication. We're part of the earth as much as the dirt is. Like I'm that kind of person. So I don't love the whole like human worth is based on output modality. It kind of feels like it's not necessarily even about like working hard. It's about like how much output are you are you able to produce? You know, it's just it's giving like a slave owner mentality. I mean, it quite literally was. Yeah, was. Yeah. 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 When we internalize the mindset of a slave owner, we end up enslaving ourselves, too. Yeah. You know, some people say, like, you have to kill the cop inside your head. You also have to kill the little Dutch East India company inside your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically, like, we all, I guess, went through this, like, communal trauma that affected mostly middle and low-income elderly and sick people. And whether that was, like, in the form of losing their jobs or their homes or their friends or their family, you know, or even their fucking lives, we've all kind of just decided to, like, forfeit our woes because we're so exhausted by, like, continuing to live in the system that got us in that position in the first place. And, like, you know, things changed, some for the better, most for the worse. We just kind of have to keep pushing to survive but that's also kind of like complying because the cultural tensions that feed capitalism kind of rely on that repression of long form conversation and people actually getting on the same page. Right. So we should talk about it. Yes. Yes, we should. Okay. So how is COVID for you? Um, pretty bad. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, that's I tried, what I thought. <laughs> I tried cutting myself cause I wanted to see what all the hype was about. I also tried stealing my (laughs) 
<laughs> what? I'm sorry. Trigger warning. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Content warning. Overrated, my opinion. I didn't like it. I didn't like cutting myself. Um. <laughs> That's your review of yeah. self <laughs> Yeah, I also tried stealing my little brother's Klonopin. Like, I was just really trying to feel something. Right, yes. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. So when you say all the hype, do you mean because I was also stealing your brother's Klonopin and cutting myself? <laughs> <laughs> Could have been a factor. Yeah. Yeah, okay, because I wasn't sure if there was, like, a new Teen Vogue that was out in 2020 saying, like, self-harm was super cooth. I mean, there might as well have been. Yeah, te- Teen Vogue's top 10 best cyber sigilism ideas to carve into your skin this quarantine. <laughs> I also smoked a lot of weed. I think me and weed's relationship became really strained in 2021. And you overblazed. Yeah. <laughs> I was strained. I, was I didn't even get it. Oh Did you not God. even mean I to? Didn't get, I did not mean to do that. No pun intended. Um, that was good. Yeah, I was staying, you know, with my parents who had just had another baby and he was born prematurely. So every day they would go to the NICU to see him and my routine. Didn't you have jaundice? I don't know what he had. But he was he yellow, just, right? He was a little yellow baby. I don't know if he was yellow. I don't remember, honestly. I think he was. He was under those UV lights. I was too high to remember if he had I remember. Or not. <laughs> 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 well, my daily routine was that... You were too high to remember your brother had jaundice for two weeks? I mean, I... Listen. <laughs> I didn't pay attention. So while your brother was... um. Struggling to survive, turning yellow by the moment. My daily routine was that at about 7 a.m., I would put my earbuds in, go to YouTube, type in white noise 10 hours, put two headbands over my eyes to simulate nighttime, go to sleep, (laughs) wake up at 1 p.m., immediately take five bong rips, wait for my parents to come home, when they did come home, maybe threaten to kill myself, and then work out to Chloe Ting videos for five hours. (laughs) You just lived your normal days, but like backwards for some reason? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely remember the reign of Chloe Ting. That fucking Chloe Ting intro music is like my MK Ultra Trigger. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does that mean it makes you start working out or do you just go no, into like sleeper agent mode? I just and, go into like, sleeper agent mode. Like for any CIA agents <laughs> listening, if you want to train me to become a hypnotized. <laughs> like, yeah, we were looking for you. <laughs> what about you? What about your COVID experience? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it started with like the worst heartbreak I had ever experienced and ended in me going to rehab. And somewhere along the way, I got really addicted to Molly and watched so much Jersey Shore that I spray tanned my whole body and reenacted episodes alone in my room. Can I say sure. that I remember that phase so well because it was public. Right. <laughs> like you would right, post like right, videos right, of yourself right, looking right, more dead eyed right. than I've ever seen you completely right. orange wearing Jersey Shore costumes, reciting lines lines from the show in your room like just directly into the camera like you became severely addicted to ketamine but nothing ever quite consumed you like Jersey Shore did you painted a portrait of Wow entirely in nail polish and hung it over your bed like okay, you okay, have okay. never been okay, okay, okay not in front of the hose bro not in front of the hose <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. I'll I'll stand up and I'll say it. No, yeah. I was like just so desperate to be outside partying and it was the only way I felt like I could simulate normalcy. It was maybe the most abnormal thing I've ever done alone in my room. But but yeah, just like me alone in my room with my LED lights pretending I was at Karma with Snooky, you know, just like howling at the moon every night until the sun came up. And uh, getting as many friends as possible to leave their siblings various medications on my doorstep. That was pretty much the experience. But one thing I will say, though, is that, like, even though I am, like, (laughs) deeply embarrassed (laughs) about how much I posted on my spam at the time, as you've so lovingly reminded me, I do (laughs) think that quarantine kind of gave us a whole new dimension of experiencing kind of like the Internet and communicating with each other online. Like, I feel like there came a point where we kind of were starting to stray away from Finstas and like when Instagram was kind of like losing its cool factor and TikTok was blowing up, like spam culture died out a lot. It already kind of had died out a few years ago, but like what was left of it was faltering out. Um, But as a society, it kind of came back during COVID. Yeah, I mean, we had nothing else better to do. Like, we were there every day. Like, that was... Yeah, we showed up to spam Instagram like it was school. Exactly. That was school. It felt like the internet was a big group chat again. And now, I feel like we all still use the internet way more, like, the way that we did during COVID. But we don't have that unifying factor of all being confused in lockdown. We're just kind of, like, in the aftermath of the hyperpolarization and, like, even more addicted to our phones. The way people were saying the internet is going to take over our lives. Like, people were worried about things like movie theaters are going to become obsolete because of streaming like there's going to be QR codes at restaurants all these fears were streamlined by the pandemic like, like you mean like fears people had had before yeah and like, about we're just the like, internet oh, one day we're over. gonna live in this like and I mean like, they were less so fears yeah. and more just like things that were beginning to happen but that like basically like there was beginning to be a dismantling of the separation between the internet and the real world. Mm -hmm. Like, it was starting to get to a point where you really couldn't function in society unless you had internet access. Like, COVID was the final nail in the coffin for that Mm -hmm. separation. Like, now we have the fucking metaverse. Like, you need internet access to do everything. You need internet access to order something at a restaurant. You need internet access to work, exactly. And you need it at your home, too, because you can't go somewhere else and work necessarily, like, depending on what your job is. Not that people didn't have, like, internet in their houses on a regular basis But I'm saying there were some people who, like, would choose just to not use the internet, but now that's not really a choice that can be made. At least if you live in, like, uh, like... major city Mm -hmm. or like even a suburb like you know you need your whatever yeah yeah so you're saying people who kind of had that fear of the accelerated integration of technology like were completely confirmed by covid yeah yeah it almost feels like if we hadn't all been polarized by like political views if like you know whatever the media didn't try to purposefully like sever us from each other then COVID would have been the perfect environment for us all to just realize how fucked up the system is and like get things moving in the direction that we wanted. It did get close. Yes. The riots like did make a difference. You know, we do see like legal change in the system. Um, But seeing we were on the precipice of like revolutionary kind of switch and then like seeing it not kind of or seeing us kind of like try to return to like a quote unquote normalcy. Like things did change in certain ways, but didn't change in a truly revolutionary way. Like it can be pretty disheartening to see that attempt and kind of pull back 
you know, it's inspiring in certain ways and disappointing in certain ways. It's kind of like a testament to our capability, which is a good thing. Right. It really goes to show to me that, like, when you have no distractions, no nine to five, no leisure, no, like, you know, bowling or restaurants or whatever people do to distract you, and you have this instantaneous way of communicating with everybody in the world all at once, you have a powerful tool to work towards social, economic, and political change. Yeah, or even like that you become a powerful tool of social change. Like when you don't have any of the other distractions, like we realize our own innate capability. Like when you get rid of those parts of you, like your job or your social life or your relationship with the physical world around you, you transcend the ego and kind of start thinking more towards the collective. Like, I don't know, maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people like, you know, if you genuinely kind of go through those like steps of like shedding your ego, you kind of... You kind of see that. And it's unfortunate that in this country you need to get rid of parts of yourself to see things clearer or like step out of yourself instead of like the self and the collective kind of living together as one. We just don't have that understanding. It's impossible in our structure. Everything tries so hard to keep things separate. Yeah, I mean, um, it really goes to show like how in individualistic culture halts social progress. Like I just said, like there were plenty of people who advocated during the Black Lives Matter protests that I'm positive would have never gone out and contributed had they not been forced to think about the collective because the typical distractions of American life weren't present. Like everyone in America just kind of cosplays as rich. Like American poor people, like they don't realize that they're poor and their chances of being rich are like very close to zero like they think they're just like three steps away like one like really good idea away from being rich yeah it's like we're brainwashed like we're gaslit by this country to think that the grind set is like the only way we'll ever be happy like complying to the system makes us happy like we really prioritize having like luxuries in america everybody's always like oh my god there's no air conditioning in europe and it's like yeah no one has air conditioning or air conditioning is not as ubiquitous as it is in america but everybody does have health care you know we think like Oh, well, we don't have to worry about abundance and resources. In fact, we have too much shit. We have air conditioning. You know, we're not even close to a third world country. Europe is closer because they don't have air conditioning. When in reality, it's like America as a whole is kind of this parent that says to us, like, well, other kids have it way worse. So if you want to complain that I hit you, then go live with their parents. You know, if you don't like it here, go live somewhere else. And like when you're given so much abundance and also told to like pull yourself by the bootstraps to access it and also beaten down by the system every time you try you develop this like american identity of learned helplessness and you know it's just kind of similar to like the psychology of being in an abusive household that always has food on the table you know so like the food might be poisonous but you're eating it aren't you like yeah like at we're least you have something on your plate yeah like we're literally like you know while you europeans were building walkable cities and human-oriented infrastructure we sent not one not two not three but 24 people to the moon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I bet they don't send people to the moon at your friend's parents' house. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, like America sending people to the moon is like the equivalent of like the family that has like a Six Flags season pass. Like, oh really, are we really poor if we can get these big gulps refilled at any time between June and August? (laughs) We're all excess, no necessities. Like conservatives will always complain about people like that. Like poor people that have these random luxuries. They'll be like, oh, well, you can't eat, but you have an iPhone. But like, you know, there are a lot of poor people in America that can't afford necessities, but have these luxuries. And that is a direct 
product of American culture being so consumerist and really prioritizing having luxuries. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's poor people's fault. I'm saying they are a product of American culture. How are we supposed to prioritize if the priorities that we're learning from our cultural narrative are like these small creature comforts are worth more than basic human rights or like we don't even understand what real comfort is. Like we know what it means to have like a window of unwinding in a day. Like we know how to use vices in this country and like how to be like, yes, obviously America is better than certain places, but it's not like a given the way that they make it seem, you know, like we don't have the most silent and truest luxury of all, which is stability, you know, and that's why we're so gassed and we're kind of forced to repress our feelings and we're made to feel cringe about even addressing things like this. You know, we're told there's no way out and to be complacent or abandon everything and go somewhere else. We're kind of convinced to turn against our communities so that we don't get the wrong idea and band together, whatever it is. Right, exactly. I also want to say that I was not meaning to say that an iPhone is really a luxury because at this point it's kind of more of a necessity. But I just meant mm -hmm. like the example that you stated of like a quote unquote white trash family having a Six Flags season pass. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I do think like that what you said before has a standing because I've definitely seen people be like, well, why does that homeless person have an iPhone? You can't really be poor. Like, right. you know, because you think of it as a luxury because it is an expensive item. Right. But really it's like, yeah, like homeless people might have an iPhone. You don't, they don't have a fucking house. Like, right, exactly. they don't have a fucking house. Exactly. Like, who cares if they have an iPhone? Like, so do you. And you have a house. There's a difference. Like, yeah. what does it matter? Like, there's just such a lack of morality because of what you were saying about that Protestant, like worth ethic. Like when people think hard work is a virtue and they think the only way to do hard work is under capitalism and then they see that you failed at that. They think of you as a moral failure. Yeah, and we see poverty as a moral failing and like being rich as like a moral good. Right. Yeah, like we know rich people are like bad, but we think they've done something right in getting rich, you know, and that's just a fallacy in itself. Yeah. Yeah, the American relationship with rich people is so fascinating. Like the way we simultaneously love and hate rich people at the same time. It's very interesting. Well, they they do their best to keep it like that, you know? Like they want us to dislike them enough to feel like we have freedom to talk negatively about them. Like we can platform this in other countries we wouldn't be able to talk about our government this way. That's cool. But then it's like and what about it? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah, like Oh yeah, we suck. We suck. Yeah. But what are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, just podcast real hard, like real yeah. hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the start. The revolution will not be televised, but it will be podcasted. <laughs> so horrible. But honestly, even just thinking about like that, like idea of like the revolution will not be televised. Is that like? Is that like if we're televising it, then we're not revolting. If we are spending time trying to platform, then we're not actually going out and doing like that's like the irony. Well, I think it's like a mixture of both, especially with the way the Internet is, because the mass communication aspect of the Internet makes it so that if you have this mass uprising, like it's a really, really good tool for being like, this is where we are. Like, this is what's happening on the right. ground. Like, this is what's yeah. going on. Like, it's a great way of getting information. Right. Well, to that's people. why they, I mean, they didn't have the Internet back then. That's why yeah, the song about came television. out like the 
1970. When they say televised, it's about the media narrative, not yeah. about the communal, yes. like democratic yeah. internet narrative. Like, yeah, of course, the, uh, the revolution was TikToked when it, uh, you know, emerged, when we saw like a glimpse of what it could be. Of course, it's going to be all over the internet. Everyone pulls out their phones. Like, the second I see something I think horrible happening, like whenever I see like a fire in a building across the street, I pull out my phone because I want to be the one that has like the best video of it <laughs> or whatever it is, like whatever sick thing that is. Like, that. that's inevitable. You know, I think what, what that kind of like movement was about, like that idea is that like we don't need to spend time platforming, we need to spend time doing and we're not going to be platformed by the media because the media is going to try their best to suppress us. And we see that with like the TikTok ban or book bans or everything that's happening right now. Like obviously this has carried out to where we're at. And it w- maybe was inevitable, but I think what you were talking about with acceleration is like what, right. what led us here so quickly. There's this essay called The Paranoid Style in American Politics by Richard Hofstadter, which is a great essay, and you should all read it. Um, that des- It describes America as having like a uniquely paranoid style of conducting politics and how like this kind of American culture creates tension, forces tension. Yeah. Yeah, they turn us into crabs in a bucket. You know, you just like end up getting angry at the class below you because they get more government benefits. You know, you think they're the ones that are hoarding the resources when really it's like, oh, everyone's getting free handouts. Like, you know, we should get handouts. Like, why they should get up and make their own money instead of questioning why the government isn't giving you a handout too. Like, everybody deserves basic income. Everybody deserves basic shelter, food, water, fucking the things. Whether or not you choose to contribute to society, you should still be taken care of if the community has abundance. You know, it's just like what we were talking about before. People are fed this delusion they're going to become one of the people that gets a seat at the table. So they kind of protect and defend the empty promises made by, you know, the abusive parent that is America. Right. Hofstetter says in the essay, quote, when I speak of the paranoid style, I use the term much as a historian of art might speak of the Baroque or the Mannerist style. It is, above all, a way of seeing the world and of expressing oneself. Webster defines paranoia, the clinical entity, as a chronic mental disorder characterized by systemized delusions of persecution and of one's own greatness. In the paranoid style, as I conceive it, the feeling of persecution is central and it is indeed systemized in grandiose theories of conspiracy. And so it's can- like right there in that yeah, Whoa. can you explain yeah. like what what, what does when he, he mean? talk when he says like you know systemized delusions of persecution and of one's own greatness like that is literally like what we were just talking about where everybody thinks they're like one step away from being super rich and powerful and like and and everybody you know and I just I think the quote I just the whole essay is really great and you should read it there's this part later where he goes on to explain this idea of like that paranoid persecution taking the form of like like sadomasochistic borderline fantasies that certain people take on when they talk about like who their enemies are and like Mm. he goes into this historical example of like people who are anti-Freemason talking about like crazy torture things that the Freemasons have supposedly done it's literally like QAnon with the lizard people and like Mm. frazzle drip so it's just like how personal paranoia is bred out of that like paranoid style of conducting politics and I think it's kind of like this delusion of grandeur that a lot of people in America have kind of right but conflating your identity with your political views is hard not to do because they're I mean, so yeah. intertwined. Those people, like, the, you know, whatever, if they're conservative or QAnon or whatever you're talking about, like, people who have this grandiosity that leads them towards paranoia and these, like, conspiracy theories and all of that, like, 
they think that of us because we think we're so grandiose that our identity matters so much that we need everybody to respect our pronouns and our sexualities and our genders. Like they see that as like a grandiose assertion of self over the collective. You know what I mean? I mean, did I say I wasn't doing grandiose assertions of myself over the collective? I never said that I was any different from these people. In fact, I have many delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Some may argue even having a podcast and talking to the world as if they care is a delusion of grandeur. Exactly. (laughs) But I I just think it's a very interesting way of kind of thinking about American politics. And it's like just reading that whole essay, it's like, oh, my God, like nothing ever changes. Like the way that people conducted themselves during the Red Scare and like the satanic panic and all these like different scares throughout history. Like it's the same. It's literally all the same shit. Yeah, it's like we have this inherent mistrust in the system no matter where we stand politically. But what you do with that mistrust all depends on how important you feel your own individualism is. And like, you know, I guess in the like scale of like, you know, identity versus like conspiracy, like it's really hard to, to blur those lines. It's really just like literally different opinions. I think the problem is we've conflated the ideas of freedom and individualism in this country. We think defense is the biggest form of freedom. You know, we're so like angry and confused on every end because we're internalizing this kind of damaged one-sided historical narrative that's meant to keep us down because whether we like America or not as citizens we are products of it you know we are America we embody all of those beliefs in some way or another and we need to kind of redirect our paranoid grandiose conspiracies yeah Americans always think that we're being like come after yeah it's it's why this idea of strength and protection is super important to us like they fed us that narrative so that we care about the military and that we want like to be protected as long as we're part of the in-group Yes, as long as we're part of the in-group. Because notice that like a lot of the things that I was describing in the, the examples from the paranoid style of American politics, like the Red Scare, the Satanic Panic, QAnon, anti-Freemasonry, like it's all people who are the most within the in-group of America. Mm-hmm. It's like people are coming after us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. COVID turned into a channel for everybody's like demons to come out. So whatever <laughs> you were like... What worried about, you know, if you were a racist worried about people coming to replace you, then like, of course, theories of lizard people, you know, coming down to, with an agenda is very satisfying. It's like a perfect <laughs> evil villain to your story. Like, I completely understand. But, you know, because this idea of strength and protection is super important to us, like, it would be really important to have a clear definition of what strength and protection really is and how that manifests and how we could uphold that value system. But because we don't have real language to support that, because we're not really talking about strength and protection, we're talking about like military defense. What we think is strength and protection is really defensiveness, repression, and explosive paranoid political rage. You know, our country has these shadows beneath its promises, and we embody those shadows. Yeah, even like the Lone Ranger American cowboy archetype embodies that. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we we are a society that thinks we're all Lone Rangers, but really we're more like insane tinfoil hat wearing people. Kind of camp, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it's true, though, and it's interesting because like... Yeah, people people think like I want to be the Lone Ranger I want to be the cowboy the cowboy versus the Indian you know whatever like yeah I want to be like that tough guy it's like what the fuck are you even thinking about why are we playing cowboys and Indians like that <laughs> it's just like one cowboy is very violent two cowboys very gay <laughs> three cowboys and this town's not big enough for all of us <laughs> 
But yeah, COVID brought out the tinfoil hat person in a lot of us, you know, and it's really interesting to see the places that you kind of go behaviorally when you are left to your own devices, like being locked inside will lead you to resort to very disturbing parts of your inner psyche. I resorted to this super angry version of myself that I didn't really realize was so deep in me. Yeah, like, you know, um, during the pandemic, I had a bad acid trip and I got my divorced parents on a conference call and yelled at them for giving birth to me um like I called my dad an asshole at one point during quarantine like to his face like yeah yeah I called my parents like way worse to their faces for the first time during quarantine too I mean granted I was on a heroic dose of PCP but (laughs) but still COVID opened up this anger in us that was like a detox for everything humanity had been holding in and whether that came out in like domestic abuse or severe depressive episodes or political rage or addiction whatever it was like I mean it was just hard when people's rage would manifest in this like anti-vax rhetoric because it's like your opinion is going to kill me and my grandmother and you and your grandmother (laughs) yeah yeah I mean you know I can obviously definitely see why you have that sentiment but also like I understand why people were totally freaked out that we were being mandatorily injected with a vaccine that was like it wasn't only a vaccine it was a vaccine that was setting a precedent it was the first mRNA vaccine ever it's not just an opinion that they're defending in their minds you were the one trying to like inject them and kill them and their grandmother I mean, yeah, that's true. And like, well, I think that it's really stupid to be scared of the mRNA aspect of the COVID vaccine. What I will give the anti-vaxxers if I have to hand them anything. And you do. There are some that listen to this. You have to hand them something. There's anti-vaxxers that listen to this? Yeah, I have. I I know some. Anyway. (laughs) He knows who he is. My (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Anyway, just um, a girl or anti-vaxxer. <laughs> a girl without her anti-vaxxer is like an angel without wings. <laughs> I need that on like a locket that has like What's an ivermectin pill inside. <laughs> That's gonna happen merch. That's gonna be the merch. What? Okay, so what I will hand the anti-vaxxers is that I understand the fear of the precedent that is set when the government mandates or when society mandates that you get a medical procedure right yeah yeah and I think it's important that you clarify that society mandated it because like the government wasn't like you're going to jail if you're not getting vaccinated which is what people were acting like Like, people were like pretending to be handcuffed by police (laughs) in thirst traps on TikTok like anti-vax people were just so caught up in their fantasies of being like you know like, because it's the fucking persecution fantasy. It's the, persecution it's the paranoid yeah. style of American politics. Like, it's literally, it's the proof is in the pudding. Like, it's people being like, they're fucking after me. I need to make a thirst trap where I pretend to be handcuffed by a government entity that right, literally just to show isn't them what there. What they would be getting into if they really right, did exactly. decide to fuck with me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was definitely like, you know, but that again, like that's like a form of taking control. Like it's they're like they're afraid that this is going to happen. So they're like, you know, taking control and being sexy while doing it. Like it's no more than we try to do just because we don't understand that it's super easy to get caught up in jokes or get riled up by your echo chambers online. You know, but 
we really do internalize all the little talking points that happen. Like even all the jokes we make at each other, everything that happens, like we're really sensitive. We don't like to admit how sensitive we all are, every single one of us, mm-hmm. but we are. Like even just making jokes at all is like a foil of it, our own insecurities and our own fears. But like we forget we're not just the tweets and we're not just the conversations and we're not just our social media output and like whatever our witty response to a horrible tragedy is. Like we don't exist in a vacuum, even if we are like the total stereotype of our community and we do want to like post everything about it or whatever it is, you know, whether you're literally an armpit hair liberal or a Bible thumping homophobe, like you have your reasons. And if we pretend that humans are just their ideas, we lose any ability to salvage whatever love is left. Totally. I mean, I used to be on this subreddit during COVID and honestly, like even though it was funny literally every single time, it's kind of fucked up looking back on it. Um, some of you might know this subreddit. It was called r slash Herman Cain Awards. And the entire premise of the subreddit was that they would post people's like anti-vax or anti-mask Facebook posts. And then they would post their family's obituary posts for those people after they died of COVID. Right. And like I said, I mean, I laughed at every single one. It was the gift that kept on giving. (laughs) I mean, it just, it never stopped being funny. We're like, real life people were affected by this. And then the people that were affected by this, you're like, ha ha. Like, literally. Okay, but. but Everything I'm building, you're knocking down. Well, no, I'm saying that, I mean, at the time, like, I would laugh at every single one. But I'm saying that now, looking back on it, like, it was kind of fucked up. And, like, I think that that was my coping. Like, I Mm. was coping with it. Yeah, yeah, you were leaning into like the dissociation and leaning into the anger and leaning into the shadow of like not giving a fuck about this person because they might not have the same accessibility to information as you or they might be more easily susceptible to whatever than you like, you know, we're putting aside like, you know, and that or maybe they're fucking right and maybe QAnon is all real and all that. But like, you know, all of that was just so irrelevant. Like, just the fact that they could even be a human being. I think on both sides, people started feeling that way. And it's like, you forget to be mad at the people you actually should be mad at. And you get mad at them. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, because I was blaming them for COVID, essentially. And so I was like, you're getting what you deserve. And that's why I kept laughing at every single one of yeah. these posts. Yeah, it's a, it's a cope. I mean, everyone was equally freaked out on some level, whether they admitted it or not. And, like, a lot of people who would be obnoxiously anti-mask, like, yelling at Starbucks workers preaching that COVID is an illusion of mass hysteria. I think those people were just as scared as the lunatics who were wiping everything down and like wearing gloves everywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm 100% certain that was the case. Like, I think everybody was trying to kind of regain control over their environment and cope in any way they could. People try to process things by intellectualizing, but because it's an unprecedented and just like objectively like terrifying and confusing situation. Like, we don't remember how bad it was, but like we were really confused and scared. Like everyone thought everything was going to collapse. Like you're just bound to have fear when you don't know what the fuck is about to happen. But you think, you know, like... If I'm looking up information about this, if I'm watching the news a lot, like if I'm intellectualizing, then I'm working from a place of logic. And then it turns into this thought line that's like, oh, well, you know, obviously, like I've seen a lot of the news. Like I know that if you don't take the vaccine, then you're putting others at risk because that's the only solution right now. And oh, my God, that's the only solution right now. Oh, my God, this is an emergency. (laughs) Like you have to do it immediately, like right now. Like if you don't, everyone I love is going to die and I'm going to lose my job. and, 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 And you should lose your job if you don't. Like, yeah, like like, oh, what? So one of those vaccines got recalled for something. 
oh, I don't know. It just malfunctioned. Oh, what do you mean? That's exactly what you were afraid of. Oh, it doesn't matter. You should just trust the other two and do it or you die and I die and everyone dies and you're a piece of shit motherfucker. Like, that, Can I just say about the recalling the vaccine? I'm pretty sure the one that got recalled was the Johnson and Johnson one, which was the only one that wasn't an mRNA vaccine. Was that? The one I got. And it's the one that you got. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? It made you trans. <laughs> Uh, we figured it out. We figured it out. I just, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look this up. It wasn't an mRNA vaccine. No, it wasn't. It was a Dino. A Dino. Yep. Yep. Exactly. This is a disabled adenovirus. Yep. Exactly. So the one that got recalled was the only one that was not an mRNA vaccine. For people that are so afraid of mRNA vaccines. That really is interesting. Also, the mRNA vaccine argument isn't the only argument that anti-vaxxers make. But you know what I'm talking about. It's that thinking that starts with, well, my opinions are backed by reasoning. You think your reasoning is more self-righteous because you feel more passionate because you're more scared. Mm -hmm. And the passion isn't coming from genuinely having a lot of information because nobody had a lot of information. We all just wanted to feel like we did. And like it just devolved into this. And like, look, I'm not trying to end up like Joe Rogan. I think I... I'd like to be an iota as successful as him before I get canceled. But I just think like we come from such a like metropolitan liberal New York kind of upbringing and we're so short tempered in general (laughs) that sometimes we don't see our blindness through our self-righteousness. Like how dare you? Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, right. Like how is, how is the kind of anger that liberals felt towards like anti-vaxxers? How is that anger any more productive than anti-vaxxer anger? Like we're all just yelling because we're all scared because that's what you do when you're scared. You yell. Yeah, I mean, when I'm scared, I also usually end up yelling at someone. But first, I usually have a period where I quietly sit in panic and fear, quietly muttering to myself. You know, it's a quietly muttering to yourself kind of life these days. So true. The girls seem to get on my pacing vibe. Like (laughs) (laughs) Pacing and quietly muttering to yourself is in girls. Jot that down. Girl dinner? No. Girl panic attack. But like speaking in tongues under your breath and just rocking yeah, back just and being forth. Like, motherfucker, like, I fuck yeah, like don't have like a whiny panic attack. No. Have like a real like one that would like have gotten school you shooter vibes. Burned at the stake back in like, the day. Like as women, we should all be acting in a way where if we were men, people would be really nice to us based on the fear that we would shoot them in a public place at some point. Yeah, well, BPD women already have that covered. <laughs> but yeah, like if you really want someone to get vaccinated, you can't call them a fucking moron. That is internalizing the methods of a system that capitalizes on abuse and exploitation and rage farming. And we don't do that. We're so good. We're gentle. We're gentle parents. <laughs> It's definitely hard to repress that anger, though, because we're always exhausted by the media instigating it. There's like a million think pieces about COVID and just like they all use this language around COVID and politics in general that makes it impossible to break through. Like, I'm sorry, but I am not patient and I cannot pretend to be. I could definitely humor someone with a different opinion than me. Yeah, your version of humoring them is like being in the same room as them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) my version of humoring them is like not immediately calling them a fucking jackass. Yeah, I mean, there's. I get, I get that and I respect that you like have strong opinions so I do too but like sometimes I put a part of myself aside to talk to people who are different from me I, like I try not to fall into the habit of people pleasing or minimizing my own beliefs when I take an angle of openness and like have a conversation with someone who disagrees with me but also like maintaining self and that is really important but like I have had many great conversations with homophobic people and some horrible conversations with gay people you know you never know oh god my entire life is having great conversations with homophobes and awful conversations conversations with gays. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sometimes it's all in the same conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, okay, like, yeah, like having a great conversation with someone who fundamentally just disagrees with your right to even exist at all. It's like, I don't know, it strikes hope in some way. No, I know what you mean, because when I talked to that, like, I talked to this griper at CPAC, and, like, we had kind of a great time together. Yeah, like, you <laughs> and can... it was like, it was, it was definitely... Uh, we like to show them the libs can get down. It was it, it was an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, like when you realize that your ego kind of doesn't matter that much and ideology kind of like falls away, then you're faced with just like you and this person. And it's just like, like there's just, there is a contradiction in humanity. Like people are going to yeah. act differently when they are placed in a situation with another human being. The reality of the situation is that we're all human and we all have things in common at the end of the day. Right. And they're not that hard to find. And it gets really specific. Like we're all specifically struggling from polarization. All of these impacts of capitalism. Everybody lives in hypocrisy. Nobody's like ideologies are airtight. We've all contradicted our own values. Like how many avid pro-life or politicians have gotten their secretaries abortions? At least all of them. Yeah, like there's something about like hypocrisy and contradiction of it all that like lifts the veil of hatred when you're talking to somebody that just doesn't agree with you fundamentally. Like hate is just this entity that is all consuming if you allow it in your life. And if you put aside the place that hatred nests, like hatred nests in biases, it nests in blind spots and resentments and fears in the corners of your minds. Like if you if you put all of that aside, you are bound to be clearer minded. You're bound to make better decisions in general. Like even just seeing the potential to access acceptance in someone who clearly harbors so much hatred, even for a second to see that glimmer in a person's eyes that like, you know, this person is more than their beliefs because they're seeing me as more than mine and they're allowing our conversation to like positively affect them. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I'm just, I just like seeing homophobes conquer their fear. It's, it's like just, when a kid talks to like a ghost. Yeah. We're the ghosts that like the gays are the ghosts. And yeah. Like they're yeah. like the scared kids and we're just like hiding in their closets. Like, please let me out. Like- please. Woo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand what you mean. Like there's something beautiful about that. I think it speaks to like the almost a universality of human experience. Like I think, you know. I, I love a little ego death is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And I love seeing that in another person at the same time. It makes it sound like we're orgasming together. But that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I love the millions of people that died in COVID being like, oh, really? Really? Did you like your ego death? Was that super enlightening for you? <laughs> no, like, literally, like, I'll just shut the fuck up right now because that's exactly why I don't talk about this bullshit. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what you're saying right now is exactly what I say in my head. They keep me quiet as fuck. So, <laughs> did I close you up again? Did you close me up again? You closed me up again. Yeah, you closed me up again. <laughs> you did. I hate when people post TikToks and shit. Like, for those of you who go out without a mask, like, COVID isn't still happening. You're insensitive, yada, yada. Like, those videos might kind of be right, but I don't want to hear that. You mean, <laughs> like, like the people who are like, oh, COVID is still going on. Yeah, like, when people remind everyone- me that COVID is still going on, like, this is exactly why we need to be talking about it. Because, like, when people remind me that it's, like, kind of still going on, like, I get so yeah, angry. Yeah, it's like, I, <laughs> if I could dislike this video, I would, like, shut up, bitch. Like, like you're being annoying. Like, you're being, like, a nerdy-ass kid who's reminding the teacher we still have homework. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just also like fucking uh, about it. Like we're also like fucking like oh, uh, like shut up. Like even those people, like they're annoying and come off as condescending because they're acting that way to us too. Like they're just being like, um, hello, haven't you heard? Kevin's still going on. Like put on your fucking mask. And we're like fucking bitch, shut up. Like oh my god. Like like we're all just like fourteen year old brothers that aren't that close. And our parents just got divorced, and now we're all too scared to talk to each other about how we feel because we don't want them to see that we're actually affected. Like that's how it feels. 
And also just like, I think like COVID being so closely associated with the Trump administration and that whole situation just being so big and dumb and clumsy. I feel like people just don't want to think about all of that. Yeah, he literally dismantled the pandemic response team like immediately into his presidency. <laughs> like that was a curb your enthusiasm ass moment. Like that would happen to Larry David. Like, I'm sorry. Like, what was that? Mr. President, we need to cut corners and be like, okay, I mean, we haven't had a pandemic in how long? Dune, 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 Yeah, out of all of the corners to cut, he really chose our survival plan. Yeah, and a survival plan really would have helped us out. You know, they say like a lot of people will tell you or you'll see a lot of statistics and stuff coming out about how East Asian countries did way better than the U.S. and most Western countries in the pandemic because their government had plans in place for what to do with the collective in an emergency. Like, according to Professor Eve Tibergine, who wrote the book The East Asian COVID-19 Paradox, quote, After the first year of the pandemic, total deaths per million reached 1,400 in the U.S., 1,650 in the U.K., 550 in Canada, and 300 for the world average. By contrast, Taiwan, Vietnam, Thailand, and Mongolia had experienced less than one death per million by that date. China, Singapore, and New Zealand were below five. Korea stood at 29, Japan at 50. The key factor was good institutional preparation prior to the pandemic, effective and rapid triggering of these institutions in January 2020. By mobilizing rapidly, they kept cases and deaths much lower than in the US, Europe, and South America. The response included the rapid activation of coordinated pandemic headquarters, the rapid production of PPEs and tests, border controls, quarantine measures, and active contact tracing, end quote. They were just on it. They were like, whatever, get this over with. Don't even give these heathens times to start forming opinions of their own. Yeah, they shut it down before people could even think of buzzwords. And people are honestly just like hella triggered at all of the words around COVID, like vaccine, mask, lockdown, quarantine, pandemic. Even the word virus, I feel like they all have a permanently different cultural context than they used to. I mean, like, I'm literally people. Like, hearing you say all those words, like, it's almost like, it's a, like a shiver went down yeah, my like spine. Yeah, like a bad slam poem. Like, <laughs> like, they're all just so loaded and also, like, so vapid at this point. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just really triggered. Like, even just saying those words will get people going. Like... When the smoke from the fucking wildfires in Canada polluted New York's air and everything was like orange outside and the air quality was the worst in the world, people like wore masks when they went outside because they wanted to protect themselves from like pollutants getting into their lungs. And like this wasn't even about protecting other people the way COVID was. Like if you were wearing a mask because the air quality was bad, like you're just protecting yourself. And like... People were literally going online like, don't try and muzzle me again. Like, I'm not going to wear a fucking mask. Like, I literally saw people posting stuff like that on their stories. Yeah, like, like while the sky is burning and the whole city smells like hot wood and death. Yeah, like while we were in like the mouth of hell, this guy posts like, people will just wear a mask for any problem now. Wife divorces me, wear a mask. Right, like your wife isn't divorcing you. The air is made of garbage right now. <laughs> you can see it in the air. It's crazy how that's like something that's kind of like common sense, even more, even like in But that's why it's a trigger because it defies all logic. Like just mm -hmm. the anger of even hearing someone trying to put you in a position that you felt like you shouldn't have been in in the first place. Like, it doesn't matter if it's about you or if it's about other people. It doesn't matter if the particles of air that has, you know, come from a wildfire are different than the particles of COVID, which are much smaller, whatever it is. Like it's people don't want to hear all that or think that deeply about it. They're just, they're fucking pissed. They're mad. Like everything could have gone into the direction of unity and communal realization, but like people just got right wrapped back into their egos because of those buzzwords. It's the, 
best way to destabilize any current power structure is to encourage human connection that transcends buzzwords, like teaching us how to talk to each other in a way that doesn't have to end because of one like, you know, dead end in a conversation or one disagreement. Yeah, like we really are like just triggered, like hearing those words taps into that kind of political paranoia. Yeah, it's like how you can't say the word vet around a dog because he thinks it means he has to wear the cone. (laughs) I think clinging to the certain language made people feel more in control in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, we all, I mean, we've been talking about a certain control the whole time, like trying to maximize our time in quarantine. You talked about Chloe Ting. Oh yeah, working out was definitely a way to assert control. Yeah, our whole friend group, eating disorders were like really peak at that time yeah everybody was posting like oh don't gain the covid 20 and it definitely didn't help that we were like on valium and muscle relaxers drinking vodka out of the bottle eating sleeves of oreo cookies and binge watching early seasons of america's next top model (laughs) when you put it like that it sounds fun but (laughs) but yeah health wise my darkest time for sure towards the end i was on like a slurpy red bull camel crush diet it was disgusting so yeah i would eat like one meal a day and work out for three hours a day yeah i thought i was like you know good but then i I saw my friends they're like you look unwell (laughs) (laughs) like deeply i actually like weirdly felt better physically during covid and i think that the reason for that i realized this is like despite having this crazy regimen like it was the first time in my life that i was getting adequate sleep every night you fucking knocked yourself out with five hours of chloe ting and yelling at your parents (laughs) and i was getting my nine hours every night and i to this day i take my sleep very seriously like i tasted the milk and honey and i'm not going back Well, I'm really glad that you found your sleep hygiene in all of this. Yeah, I I do feel like even though I got better at establishing a health routine, so to speak, I am even more (laughs) I am even more unfit to work because of the pandemic. Really? Why do you say that? Because I don't know. A part of me just doesn't feel entirely reintegrated into society yet. Like, I don't know. Something shifted. Something definitely shifted. My social skills were affected. Yeah, mine were too. I Yeah, we've talked about this before, but kind of like the home bodification that came in being in lockdown and just kind of like feeding into that quiet paranoia. Like living in my building, I feel like I'm in a tower locked away from civilization because I'm far away. I feel like a lot of New Yorkers feel like that. I don't even have to go outside to eat if I didn't want to. I could be a total hermit. You know, I... I still have the delivery apps on my phone leave my food at the doorstep instead of handing it to me. Like, why didn't I ever stop doing that? Like, it feels more convenient to not have human contact and just to have them leave it at the door. But like, but why is that? Maybe it's just exhausting being around people and we're finally being honest about that and like protecting our peace, you know, or maybe, maybe it is like really giving up micro moments of human connection that are more important to us than we think. Well, honestly, I think with the food delivery thing specifically, I'm like, I also do the leave at the door thing too. So like, this is not a personal criticism, but I honestly think it's because we know in our hearts how like horrible the gig economy is and how horrible like being a food delivery worker is. And I feel like having the person hand you the food is like a reminder of that. Like on a subconscious level. Yeah, on a subconscious (laughs) level, I feel like we just, we don't want to think about that. Like we just want to be able to like press five buttons and the food appears at the door and not think about the fact that there's so much exploitation going into that process. I definitely think that is a sentiment that a lot of people have. Like, and like maybe it's something that exists in my subconscious too. For me, I think most of it is about like, the expenditure of energy. I still think it's like internalizing capitalism. Like it's just this idea that like, am I maximizing my time? Like, am I going to have to have like an unnecessary conversation with someone? Like, you know, 
But, you know, like, like if I get into a car and I can avoid talking to an Uber driver, I will, unless they're like very nice and really have something interesting to say. But a lot of the time I feel like too, it's hard to tell, you know, if it, if it is that like economic guilt that you're talking about or if it's just like being a girl and just being so used to having to like smile at everybody and perform for, because when I do answer the door for like a pizza or something, like, am I going to have to pretend somebody is home, someone else is home because I'm worried because I'm answering the door in my underwear and I'm a girl and like whatever right. it is, like, you know, all of those things that like. I shouldn't really have to even be thinking about and probably nothing would happen. And like, so what if I have to have a conversation with the person? It's like not the end of my life. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's really hard to pull yourself out of that routine of like being kind of antisocial, being kind of a hermit. It's so much easier to stay inside with the ubiquity of the internet. Ubiquity is really my word today. (laughs) Plus, we were socially praised for staying inside. So we might have like kind of internalized that subconsciously, whether we know it or not. Yeah, and I think, like, we kind of became more aware of how we spend our energy when we're left to our own Right, like you were saying, like, that, like, every day of, like, being a girl and having to constantly perform. Right. Like, Yeah, now I have, like, no tolerance for it because I became so aware of that. And, like, yeah, like, the idea of going outside at all and having to face all the things that we realized were draining us, like, just kind of became an energy expenditure that wasn't worth it. And I think part of that mentality kind of stuck around. Yeah, I mean, becoming a paranoid hermit was very in at the time. If yeah. only COVID had happened two years earlier, <laughs> when I was 15 and not 17, I would have been the best person in lockdown in America. Muttering, pacing, self-harming, being a paranoid hermit and wearing a tinfoil hat are very in. <laughs> right. 2023 in. Yeah. It's almost, I mean, but it's almost like we saw humanity at its rawest. Like we were talking about with that ego death, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just like, it opened our eyes to this whole new reality. I'd never even considered the idea of a lockdown really before the pandemic. I, I thought that was some plague shit, you know, but because that's like a precedent now, even when like the wildfire air came down here, I immediately was like, oh my God, we're going to have another lockdown. Ah, shit. Here we go again. Yeah. I'm like, like even just having a brand new anxiety. It's like when school shootings got super cool when we were in school and we were like, are you fucking kidding me? Like another reason to be paranoid at school. No, yeah, like I always think about like if we have like a a big environmental crisis, which we probably will, uh, like, you know, there might be a lockdown or something new and even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like super chill though. So like if we did have another lockdown, I'd just be like kind of like whatever, like wow. Like right. rock on like you know kind of vibe right unbothered right just yeah. like last time right we didn't totally spend this entire episode talking about how we oh i was chilling if you ever paranoid. say otherwise you're fucking crazy yeah you're fucking crazy despite everything else you know i was sleeping like a milk-fed baby the whole time with my <laughs> fucking with my three headbands and my white noise like <laughs> i mean i was achieving <laughs> levels of deep sleep that i i don't think i'll ever be able to MTV's get to again welcome to my womb simulator <laughs> I, I literally was doing a womb simulator like it was like you know exerting my body to its absolute max with the workouts and then like simulating being in the womb yeah i mean we definitely got more space to get to know ourselves that was like you got to know your sleep and stuff i feel like quarantine kind of gave me a lot of space to think about gender you know like Gender is so performative. So when you're kind of left for an extended period of time with no one to perform it for, it's like, who do you really become? That's kind of what I was facing. Like, 
the fact that we're all so indoctrinated by gender norms from so young that many of us like don't even realize we're performing a script of gender that has been written from us from before we could understand what we were saying. You know, like babies wearing <laughs> unitars that say like fucking ladies man, chick magnet, like, you know, I'm a big ball slinger. Like, it's just <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like that kind of thing. And you only really realize that you are performing when everyone is gone and you're left alone on stage like wondering why you're wearing the goddamn unitard. Why like, am I wearing a ball slinger unitard right now? <laughs> Nobody's here. <laughs> I only wear my ball slinger unitard when the crowd is full. I mean, it's like, listen, like, company's coming. I need to put on my ball slinger unitard. <laughs> it's what I wear whenever we do the podcast. <laughs> It's what we were talking about, about how tragedy kind of really breaks down the ego. And for me, that kind of started with dismantling everything I thought I knew about my identity and like oh, tracing yeah. it back to the origin. Oh, yeah. I realized I was gay like every single night during COVID. You just kept putting it back in the box. No, like I literally did that. Like I would take edibles, realize I was gay, convince myself it was the drugs talking like and be like, no, I'm not gay. And then just repeat. And that happened like every single day for a year. I was like, there's got to be a better time to figure this out. And that time is definitely much, much later than whatever now is or will be. Except it's, it was actually the perfect place and time to start thinking about all of that. And that's why it kept coming up for you. True. I feel like I was also forced to ask myself, like, who am I when I dress for myself and not for others? Kind of like at first, of course, I was just like doing what everyone else was and wearing my pajamas every day. But then I started asking myself, like, why am I wearing my pajamas every day? And I realized it was just because they were comfortable and, like, getting dressed was uncomfortable. And I started to really question, like, why it was uncomfortable because it was, like, beyond uncomfortable. Like, I really couldn't even fathom the idea of putting on human clothes, like, getting in anything but boxers. And along the way, I kind of realized that, like, when no one was looking, I didn't want to be the version of myself that I was. Like, I had been swept up by this current of social norms and fashion trends and internalized homophobia and externalized misogyny and all the things that kind of, like, exist in this, like, yeah, rapid racing, like, body of water that is society and time. And I didn't really think I had the permission from the world to, you know, be subversive in my appearance right. at all. Like I only started really embracing a more masculine identity right before COVID when I met the first lesbian my own age. And like, <clears throat> like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I ever would have come into myself in that regard had I not had this space to like experiment with clothing and the safety and comfort of my own home without like social expectations around me. Like I felt like I could kind of gradually transition into the person I wanted to be and no one would question it because everyone had the same exact excuse. Like there's something about that that I kind of feel nostalgic for sometimes the way that we all had like a little more empathy with each other at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had a come to Jesus moment of my own over quarantine where we, we had that crazy acid trip. And I, I realized I was a lesbian, essentially. And it culminated in that call with my parents. Um, and I was literally like shaking in anger and confusion at them and interrogating them. And it's, it's, it's hard to say like whether I had that big realization um, because I was 18 and on acid or if that realization was accelerated by all the time that I had to spend alone with myself. Yeah, it becomes like a really blurred line between organic milestones and accelerated milestones when you're coming of age during a global emergency. Because like, who knows which is which? And yeah, does like, it matter? Right. I was going to realize I was gay anyway. Like, yeah. when you're a teenager, it already feels like the world is always ending. So like when it actually feels like the world is ending to everybody else as well, it's like, seriously? It's like dead ass. 
Yeah, it's like for real. What? It's like be fucking for real right now. It's like come on. <laughs> yeah, and all of this obviously extends past like style, expression, or even gender and sexuality. It's more of like an all-encompassing question of who are we at our cores when no one is around. You mm-hmm. know. And that's not to say that we aren't authentic with other people, but with ourselves, we pass authenticity. Yeah, all distractions are gone. You have to be gay. Yeah, we have to kind of look at that, like, bloody, wet center of our souls and really try to figure out, like, if we like who we are and then pursue a whole journey to figure out how to fix it if we don't like it. I mean, I did fucking, like, 10 hours of therapy and group therapy and counseling every week for a year after I saw what the fuck was beneath the surface of my autopilot brain during quarantine. 10 hours of therapy? Yeah. After 10 hours of therapy, I better be fucking Mother Teresa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what, you don't think I'm Mother Teresa? <laughs> yeah. And, and I say autopilot, too, because I think we all kind of fall into these patterns that we don't have the energy to break because we're just not given... We're not, we don't live in a system that gives us a lot of space to to realize things about ourselves. Like even having realizations about myself was a total privilege that I have that most other people in this country don't have because they don't have the time or space to have that much therapy. Like, you know, like everybody has these patterns that we just don't break. And it seems like, why wouldn't you? Like when my pattern, for instance, before was wearing like slutty clothes, it's like, why wouldn't you break that if you felt self-conscious and hypersexualized and awkward? And it's like, because it was eight in the morning and I had 30 minutes to get ready and my closet was filled with mini skirts and titty shirts, you know, 30 minutes is not enough time to realize that you're better suited dressing like an OSHA certified tradesman. It's just <laughs> not, it's not enough time. You know, I needed space and time and COVID did like kind of give that to me. So whatever. Yeah. Weirdly, there was a reconnection between people and their homes as like extensions of themselves and as spaces to really use and exist in full time. Yeah, you even saw that with, like, how people got really into, like, containers and, like, home decor and nesting and Pinterest and, like, designing their spaces. The Washington Post actually published an article called um, (laughs) Booming Furniture Sales Meet Unprecedented Delays for Sofas and Desks. by Abba Batari, written in March 2021. But um, basically the article says that the furniture business was booming in 2021 and it was driven by big jumps in work from home arrangements and home sales. Americans, the month before the article was written, spent an estimated $11.3 billion at furniture and home furnishing stores, which is 12% up from a year earlier, while overall retail sales grew 34%. So everyone was all fucking doing the fight club thing of coping with our existential dread by buying entire Ikea catalogs and getting super into decorating like the inside of fridges and like DIYing zany rugs and all those Once things. Once again, control. All about control. I mean, I remember the day we found out about the lockdown. Uh, you did a bunch of Adderall and collaged the walls of your entire room. Yes, I did. I took all the magazines that I could find from downstairs in the laundry room of my building and I... I collaged my whole room but you know it made sense at the time like I I just felt like it was the only thing I could I mean I mean I like put stuff up in my room too during that time because and I actually made like a little collage because I was like I'm gonna be in this fucking fucking space for a while like I want to make it look nice that's cute though I think I like to think that everybody like did like home renovation like there's there is something like kind of like we do what we can about yeah all of it but it did make me kind of more of a homebody because I kind of realized I could create my own safe space in my home. And like, you know, when I leave my house, I'm just so easily corrupted. Or maybe it's just easier to be corrupted in your home by yourself where no one can tell you why you're corrupted. Yeah. Like who doesn't just love 
to sit alone in their home and allow their corruptions to surface. It's literally my only pastime. But then at the same time, I also have that need to make up for lost time that we always talk about. And that's something that like everybody did. Like, have you heard of the concept of revenge traveling? <laughs> revenge traveling. I'm guessing it's not like a kill bill journey where you go to find somebody that you want to like get revenge. It's so on. funny that they call it revenge traveling because it really like connects it back to like the like the abusive relationship metaphor you used earlier. Mm. It's like we're trying to get a revenge body after leaving the abusive relationship. That's so <laughs> like, true. Yeah. It's, um, like matter of fact, we will go to another country now that we're allowed to. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> my COVID restrictions never let me go to Hawaii, but now that my COVID <laughs> restrictions are gone, I'm making an appointment first thing tomorrow morning, and I'm. Going to, to go, Hawaii. Like, terrorize the natives in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, NBR had a whole article by Manuela Lopez Restrepo called Revenge Travel is Surging. Here's what you need to know. And basically, American travel to Europe jumped 600% from 2021 to 2022, and people were blatantly posting about revenge traveling just to spite COVID. Like, girl, you are not spiting anyone by going to Bermuda. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like your maybe your own bank account because we know you're not getting the stimulus check anymore. But like your American dollars in international banks only strengthens global economic bonds. The same people that like you feel like you're getting revenge on that are oppressing you, like they're the ones who are profiting on your revenge. Like, you know, who is a bigger pawn of capitalism than someone desperately trying to overcorrect and like pursue a picturesque, immersive commercial experience? Like the idea of getting revenge, like in by using consumerism is so evidence of like how corrupted we are by the capitalist mindset. And like, mindset. listen, I did that so hard. Like, I really like, I mean, I didn't travel because I don't have money, but I like really tried to get every experience that I possibly could. Like, I feel like when catastrophic events happen, people feel kind of closer to chaos and death and kind of almost lean into it. Like, we talked about with those like dark outlets and for a lot of people that's the need to recklessly spend money to try and cram two years into one and you feel like that ultimately like has been negative and all and disappointing i don't know or how, is it a good thing should we have like a little i bit had a lot of fun it's about balancing it i guess it's yeah. like are, are you doing it because you want to be having fun because you feel like you deserve it or are you revenge traveling and are you like i'm gonna do this because i need to do this if i want to gain any kind of control like are you continuing to perpetuate that desire to assert control through that decision. But yeah, I mean, because honestly, like, I don't feel like I lost that much time in COVID. Like, I hear a lot of people talking about the idea of lost time. And I definitely feel like I need to, like, you know, have a lot of experiences now that we have the opportunity to because I feel more grateful for them. But, like, I think more so I feel like I really missed having connections. Like, I feel like, yeah. you know, I, I honestly appreciated that we got some time because I needed to take time apart from the world and slow down. It's kind of ironic that, like, in order to address the cultural and individual trauma that the pandemic left us with, we have to do exactly what the pandemic did for us and create space for ourselves. Yeah, you can't just go right back to our distractions. Yeah, that's exactly what they fucking want us to do. It's giving the answer was in our hearts the whole time. <laughs> it is giving that. It is. <laughs> no, literally, because like it really all boils down to the fact that when millions of people die, it's a human tragedy. Like it just is. Like even if that's not good enough for you, even if you don't believe millions of people died, how about this? We all agree that we live within a culture war. Like there's no way you can think that everyone is on the same page right now. <laughs> like we are definitely in an accelerated culture war. And when a culture is at war with each other and that war consumes minds and breaks up families and friends and breeds hatred towards social groups and ends with people's rights getting revoked, no matter what rights you're fucking talking about, because honestly, we all feel like we lost shit, you know? 
when everyone loses some shit, that is a human tragedy. That is so true. And we need to look at the people who gained shit from this, the people who profited, the people who benefit from our individualism, the Uber Eats and Amazons and Zooms that still have us in a chokehold. Yeah, I mean, like, it's fucking serious. Like, those people were profiting off of hatred in a way that is so much more insidious and, like, layer than we could even get into or begin to comprehend. Like, people like people were profiting off of, like, even, like... Yeah, like, um, you know, Facebook, like, profited off of the polarization and hatred that was spreading. Like, you know, you see this with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. That was, like, a few years before COVID. But also, you know, with, like, the whistleblower, Francis Hagen, I think is how you pronounce it, um, who, like, leaked a bunch of internal Facebook documents that, like, showed that they get more clicks when something is more outrageous. And so they want outrageous content on their site. But that incites violence when people are consuming like extreme and violent media that scares people people act out of fear and people act insane they were cutting up asian people in the street like they were like they were hurting asian people my mutual's little brother like some guy attacked him with a blade to the back of the neck repeatedly just because he was asian during the asian hate stuff jesus christ that's awful everyone can agree that it was chaotic and, and definitely a real course changer that needs to be kind of accounted for now when human tragedies happen, we need to make space to mourn them because it's like whatever shadow is hiding is going to come out somehow if we don't mourn it out. Yeah, I also feel like we forget how scared we were and how unsure of everything we all were because we like know that the world doesn't actually end because of this. So we have that kind of like survived an overdose level of adrenaline that makes us just feel undefeated and ready to go back to what we were doing like it was nothing. Yeah. Well... If any of you ever forget what it was like, I would strongly recommend looking up the episode of Big Brother where they all find out about COVID. <laughs> and like, that sounds insane. But I saw someone posted a clip of it on TikTok. I don't really watch Big Brother, but like I saw the clip on TikTok and it's of like everybody finding out, like they hear for the first time, like there's a global pandemic, you know, there's going to be a lockdown and everyone just freaks the fuck out. Like, cause they've had no outside contact to the outside world so just hearing about it like was stressful but that's pretty much how we all were like nobody really took the news of like hearing about the breakout of covid that seriously because there's so much bullshit in the world it's like what do you even right. know how to focus on and i think that's another point of like stress for us it's like well now any little thing could turn into something way bigger than we thought because we didn't think this was going to be that big of a deal but it was you know and i guess that was pulled up in people and people remembered the ignorance and then the trauma of like understanding what was really happening and the comments of that TikTok were all filled with like people being like why is this big brother clip making me cry like I thought I was over COVID like I forgot how scared I was like whatever like it was literally thousands of comments of people being like right. very emotional it's just so clear that like so many of them were repressed COVID teens that were kind of only able to squeeze out their processing of what happened through a TikTok comment because it's the only place that's not cringe because you're basically just like posting into the void. And I feel like that like method of processing it feels like a glimpse into a really weird kind of severed future. No, yeah, like at the end of the day, despite everything, like it was not just a meme or a blip. Domestic violence rates went up, addiction went up, crime went up. COVID merged reality with technology in an irreversible way. It changed the way we discuss politics, even changed the way we see leaving our houses. 
Yeah, we can make memes about it, but it isn't a meme. You know, does that make sense? Like, like we're in this age where we kind of turn people and events and things into memes and then use that to disregard them, like just totally degrading people and things and everything down into an ironic husk. Oh, yeah. And that makes perfect sense. It's it's so bad that it's actually affecting our outlook. Or it's really like a chicken or the egg situation, I guess. Yeah. It's like, you know, are you hating life because you keep joking about how much you hate life or do you actually just fucking hate life or is it both and is it one because of the other? It's both. It's both. (laughs) Like, in order to, like, genuinely mourn that pre-pandemic life and, like, go through, like, the whole period of really reflecting on our experiences in a healthy way by engaging with our community and actually, like, asking our friends about how their COVID experiences were like and not in, like, a what did you do kind of thing because that's not the way you can talk about an event that locks you in one house all night. It shouldn't be about measuring what you're doing. It's about measuring what thoughts are coming up in this time. We need to kind of elevate the conversation to now being like, okay, we're separate from it enough to talk about it now. What realizations did I make about society and about myself and all of all of the things that is really important? Just talking about what you realized, I guess, and talking things through. I mean, honestly, even after talking about all this, it kind of feels like purging. Yeah, I honestly feel a lot better after just like doing this, like going through the process of making this episode. Like, I think it's good to get these things off your chest. And even if you don't, if you're not ready to like talk about them with someone else, like just acknowledging it to yourself, I think is good. COVID was like a two year long non-consensual ayahuasca trip that everyone needs aftercare for now. (laughs) Yes, it feels like we all went through like a portal and kind of ended up somewhere else. Literally, I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like we stepped into a completely different reality. I've heard a lot of people say that. It feels like you switch timelines. Like Something shifted. Shit's about to get weird. Yeah. If if there was justice in this world and if we lived in the Middle Ages, she would have been hung for being a witch. Who? The girl who tweeted something shifted shit's about to get real weird in the beginning of 2020. If we lived in the Middle Ages, like we would have hung her ass so fast. I'll hang her now. I still think it's her fault. Yeah, no, like I fully blame her. <laughs> like I found a woman. I'm going to blame her for it. I love blaming women. Yes. <laughs> I think like we're all like scared to move like it's just like (laughs) we don't want it to happen again and it's like we're afraid we're gonna manifest it or something and the the thing is we like definitely are going to experience more vehicles for acceleration and more historical events because everything is gonna start moving more it already has like everything just becomes more exponential it's the horrible paradox of acceleration and the national agenda towards individualism and technological manifest destiny it's just all going to keep getting worse because it all accelerates itself you know so if you cringe at the word covid or mask or vaccine or the idea of having this conversation at all feels hopeless and redundant I really encourage you to just ask why like that's that's it like just ask like why do you feel that way and if the answer is you being like I'm not talking about that shit I already know what my problems are and I don't feel like talking about COVID ask why again just for fun and then keep asking yourself why and keep answering yourself till you have a conversation and you realize you're finally fucking listening to yourself. Let's end on a good note, though. NBC just put out an article yesterday by Ian Cole. Number of excess COVID-19 deaths drops to pre-pandemic levels. The number of excess deaths from COVID has, like, we've reached the number of quote-unquote excess deaths that we did before the pandemic. What is it? What is an acceptable death rate? When is a death rate excessive? (laughs) Yeah, like what arbitrary number have they chosen to represent what is too much dying? 
It okay. just means the number of excess deaths has dropped to pre-pandemic levels. So people really aren't dying of COVID anymore. So that means that people aren't dying at, at a statistically significant rate. Yeah. Yes. That one motherfucker that died like today from it being like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So, so I mean yeah, nothing. People are just dying at like a statistically normal rate. Yeah. Is, you know, yeah. Not, not by getting... Maybe by getting like hit by one of those giant SUVs, like the fucking real Americans that we are. Thank God things are back to normal. The pandemic is officially not causing any more collateral in America, or at least not more collateral than we're already used to. Hell yeah. And with that, thank you guys for listening. Yes, thank you for listening. We know it was a grueling one. You can follow us on Instagram at What's Gonna Happen Pod or on Twitter at WGH Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon where we take requests for episode topics, Q&As, and post bonus episodes every once in a while. And from the mRNA, from the COVID <laughs> vaccine that is slowly but thoroughly penetrating myself, this has been What's Gonna Happen. Okay, I'll take it, I guess. <laughs>